Turn to James 5. We're wrapping it up, my friends. We're finishing James 5 and the book today. Excited to share some of the things I've learned. So I have good news and bad news for you today. Are you ready, Debbie? The good news is this passage is very, thank you, very easy to understand. I shouldn't say very easy, but it's relatively straightforward. That's the good news. The bad news is it's very hard to obey this scripture. Remember, we can be doers of the word and not hearers only. That's how we avoid deceiving ourselves. See the verse on the side? That's going to ring so true this morning. I'm really excited about it. I'll use an illustration a couple of times today. Uh, we had the privilege of driving a bunch of rowdy volleyball team girls to Dixon, Illinois, Friday night. And the road had its twists and turns. There were times where you had to slow the rig down to about 40 to go around the curve. Other times it was nice and straight. We just put the hammer down and tried to keep up with Wes. But then there was another time. Approaching the Galena territories, there was straight. It was beautiful, but it was a hill. And we started off, and then I had to go, downshift, and down, and it was tough. And that's how I visioned this message. It's straight, it's easy to understand, but boy, it is an uphill climb to get our hearts and our minds and our bodies to follow in obedience. So that's our prayer this morning. As we climb this steep hill, it's straight, we'll know exactly where we're headed, we can see the path ahead, but I pray that the Spirit would work in your hearts and in my heart to make us doers of the word. Father, no chance of doing this without you. We rely on you. We depend on you. And so, Father, we would ask that you would touch our hearts even now, that the distractions of life would fade away, that we'd be zeroed in, focused in on this awesome opportunity to know you more, to honor you more through obedience, and to grow closer in the abundant life that you have for us. We trust you in your lead in Jesus' name. Amen. The other thing that I have great news is if you take a peek at this, this is a, a deep insight of the verses. This is our deep verse-by-verse -verse view. Brother Adrian and I were able to work together. We both bring some things to the table. He is an extremely skilled student of the word, developing a comprehensive and thorough verse-by-verse -verse analysis. I speak fluent English, and that's my contribution. Together, we are a tremendous team. But seriously, take this with you. This is very valuable. This re represents hours and hours of work by Brother Adrian for your edification. Please read this. Take it paragraph by paragraph. If you break it down about a paragraph a day, you'll be done with it by next week. But really study it through. Study it through. Because this is the in-depth interpretation of James 5. Now, the other reason I'm so thrilled about that is because there's no way we can cover all of the interpretation as well as the application in 40 minutes. So this helps a great deal. Thank you, brother, very much for your time on that. Please read this, encourage each other, and make sure and thank Adrian for his hard work. We'll refer to a couple parts of that, but let's first of all go to the most important recess, the word, resource, the word. Verse uh, 13 of chapter 5, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is there any of you sick? He should call on the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he sinned, he'll be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Powerful opportunities. Let's start in the first two verses. Is any one of you in trouble? What's the response? He should pray. If anyone's happy, what's the response? Let him sing songs of praise. Again, he should pray in thanksgiving. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray. Pretty much covers everything. You notice that? Every situation covers prayer. And it's no wonder that 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says what? Never stop praying. Another version? Pray without ceasing. Right? Pray always. Pray continually. Bottom line is that we are charged by Holy Scripture that prayer become like breathing. As natural it is to take in a breath and to exhale should be as natural and regular as it is that my heart is in connection and communication with Almighty God. Another way of saying this is prayer equals dependence. Prayer equals dependence. One of Mike's favorite theologians is Tim Keller, and I love this quote. To pray is to accept that we are and always will be wholly dependent on God for everything. Here's the reality check. You're dependent on God for everything, whether we acknowledge that or not. It's a whole lot easier and more joyful and more reassuring when we acknowledge that, when we accept that, when we embrace dependence on the Lord God. That's the steep hill though, isn't it? Your flesh, my flesh, the world, the devil, they hate the concept of you having this wonderful, abundant dependence on God. That's contrary to every fiber of my old self that the, the dead corpse still re remains around on, right? But that's the, the beauty of it. Through the power of the Spirit, you have a chance this morning to grow in this dependence of God. Now, the shocking part of this is that it's not just about depending on God from James 5. Now, that's critical. That's central. But in depending on God, God is going to use his church. So the reality is that you not only are required to depend on God, you're depending on each other. Hmm? that interesting? A little uncomfortable, don't you think? You take a look around. Don't do it now. It would be awkward if you make eye contact, right? If you take a look around now, you're going to see flawed individuals like me. These are the individuals that God says depend on. This is your church family. This is the body of believers that God says with authority in James 5, depend on the body of Christ. Isn't that interesting? How does that make you feel? Hmm. I've got an illustration of this too. That same Dixon, Illinois trip, the volleyball ladies defeated the Faith Falcons for the first time since 2009. There was enormous jubilation, as you'll see in a moment. But there was somewhat of an awkward moment where an exuberant fan hugged a dairy farmer. 
he was a little uncomfortable. Take a peek. Okay, you can see there's the winning ace. He's beautiful. You've got the crowds going crazy. There's an exuberant fan. Very good. And coming in for the hug. Freaking out. A little awkward. That's kind of how I feel when I think about depending on people. Right? Let me read the first paragraph of your handout. Many believers have a tendency that may seem normal from the point of view of the world, but it's very dangerous. The trend is to live the Christian life independently. So according to this way of thinking, they have points in common, but the spiritual battles, the difficulties, the doubts are kept only for themselves. In other words, one can be with others and share many beautiful things, but deep problems are kept hidden from others. They don't confess their sins to each other. They don't reveal their inner battles. According to this way of thinking, it is necessary to always wear a mask that hides what is inside. The world thinks so, and many believers think the same way without realizing that they've received this behavior from the world. But as we will see in James today, and as we see in many other parts of the Bible, this is not the way God teaches us to live. We need each other on a more personal level. So if it wasn't a steep enough climb that you've got to shift your focus to depend on God more, you've got to shift your focus to depend on each other more. And we're going to see what scripture has to say about this. Now, the other luxury we have is the next series, which starts two weeks from today, is probably the best follow-up of the previous series we've had in nearly the 20 years of Great Adventure. The next series is on prayer. It finishes off so beautifully our study of James. And so we'll have four to six weeks, and guess what the first session is that Chad will lead us in? Prayer equals dependence. So if I'm not elaborating immensely on this, it's because you got a whole nother 40 minutes coming on it, right? Today I really want to focus on kind of this, this concept of, of course, depending on God, but really starting to wrap our minds and hearts around the reality that we need to depend on each other. Very, very important. The context of James, as always, is, is paramount. What was the overall theme of James? Integrity. Match your thoughts with your actions, match your faith with your behavior, match your intentions with your deeds, match your hearing with your doing. Line it up. Line it up so that I'm not two-faced, so that I'm not divided, so that I'm not a faker. But as integrity means one undivided individual, we are integral in our faith matching our deeds and down the line. If any of you lacks wisdom, what's it say? James 1, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven to and fro by the winds. Let that, not, let that man not suppose to receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Remember that? Unified, focused. Here's the reality. Your walk with the Lord in integrity will involve dependence on each other as well as on him. This is serious stuff. I believe you've made a great choice. I believe this is a church family that can support you in that and encourage you on that. But there's some shifts in my own heart and yours as well for us to really 
continue to tap into that enormous blessing that God has given. What other context of James 5.16 do we see? Let's read it. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is teamwork. Teamwork. Now, there's some background. You need to know that this passage is incredibly clear. Some Christians are sick because of sin. 1 Corinthians 11.30 makes this very clear when it's speaking of the Lord's Supper. It says that many among you have fallen ill because of sin. Some of you have even died because of sin. The clear interpretation of this scripture is that some Christians are sick because of sin. Uh-oh, wait a minute here. Some Christians are sick not because of sin. The clear interpretation of scripture here is that Christians are not sick because of sin. That they're sick because we live in a fallen world. Let's look at John 9, 1 through 7, and then we'll reconcile these. John 9, 1 through 7. I love this because not only do we learn theology, but we get to see the power of Almighty God. What a great combination when, when we, we learn and then God shows up with power. Verse 1, Jesus heals a man born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. not amazing? Miracle. Miracle. But it's clear from Jesus' teaching. Was this man blind because he had sinned? Was he sick because he had sinned? No. Maybe it was his parent. No. This was allowed, keyword allowed, for the glory of God. So I feel a little bit like uh, the Princess Bride. Raise your hand if you've seen the Princess Bride. Remember Vecini? He's in the Battle of Wits with Aniga Montoya. And he goes into this great detail about which chalice he's going to choose because one of them has poison, right? And so he can clearly not choose the, the chalice in front of me. But then, of course, he's a Sicilian, and he clearly cannot choose the chalice in front of you. That's kind of how I feel here, right? It's, it's a no-win. Is it because people are sinful that they get sick? Yes. Is it not because they're sinful that they get sick? Yes. It's both, isn't it? We need to be aware that Scripture is clear, that God loves me so much, he will discipline me when I have unconfessed sin in my life. And if he chooses to use sickness, he will do that. If he chooses to use death, he will do that. He's sovereign. He owns that right. But the reality is, is we don't know if I'm sick because of sin or if I'm sick because of a fallen world that we live in. And so what are the steps here? Dependence on God and dependence on the church. Take a look again, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I think a practical application, if you are not well, whew, 
I don't think it's a bad idea to search for unconfessed sin in your life, right? But once you've done that, once you've involved your church brothers and sisters, you've brought them around you, and you've asked for prayer, we've done that many times over the last several months, understand that as a family, prayer is powerful, and it's powerful to heal. It's powerful to motivate us to come out of sin, and it's powerful to remove sickness. So this is a clear passage of the church being involved, not just in my Sunday morning schedule, but in my day-to-day-to-day life. I'll never forget 2012, a very, very difficult time, really struggling, really struggling with some sickness and such. And so called up the elders. They came to my bedside and prayed for me. And here I stand before you, thankfully healed. The reality is, is that we need each other even when it comes down to sickness and day-to-day living. Now read through this. There's some really interesting teaching as well on the anointing with oil, the anointing with oil that you read about in these verses. And of course, you have a symbolism, not a shock. And really, there's a couple of ideas here. Olive oil was sometimes used as, uh, for some medical purposes in the time, but... Oil also is often symbolized the Holy Spirit. And so I think that there's probably both practical as well as a picture here that Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, is waiting and eager to heal, waiting and eager to help, ready to assist you. And what will he use oftentimes to unleash that assistance? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you shut your life off, From the local church, you are robbing yourself of opportunity for healing and abundance and joy. That's as straightforward as it gets, isn't it? Now, what's so stinking hard is that we will let each other down. It's not a cheery thought. You'll put yourself out there, and the humanity of those around you sometimes will will, will show its ugly head, right? You've had that. You've been let down by people. And it hurts, it still hurts. But the reality is, is that the more we band together as a family, embrace this dependence on the Lord, the better we'll get at depending and being dependable for each other. Huge opportunity, my brothers and sisters. Let's not miss it. Let's not allow it to pass us by. Maybe we'll have more time to talk on that. But let's dig into this dependence on God's church. In these verses you're going to see two key ingredients for biblical dependence on God's church. Uh, One, you're going to see truth. And two, you're going to see transparency. In order to be trustworthy, dependable for each other, we need to be a team of truth and a team of transparency. And we can read this in this passage and so many else. But it's so critical now, unlike I think any other time I've been alive, that you as believers embrace the truth of the living God. Great news. You have the revelation of the truth of the living God. And it's time for us to stand on this truth unapologetically with confidence and boldness for the glory of God. There are lies of the devil 
seeping in not only outside those doors, but seeping into my heart inside these doors. And we got to kick that out the back door. It is time as believers to stand for God's truth in a way we've never done before. There's no time for wishy-washy. There's no opportunity for two-faced. You can't live one way with certain friends and live another way with a different group of friends. There's no time for that. It's critical right now. It's go time. And the sooner we realize that we have to stand on the unswerving truth of God, the more successful we'll be on supporting each other. And the more dependent then we are on Almighty God. But there's a second part of this that I think is very, very important too, and it's transparency. Transparency. Take a look at verse 16 again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That's tough. That's tough. And I want to be quick to say that there's a right transparency that's being revealed here. One of my favorite teachers, Dave Glock, revealed early on that this transparency of being open with each other is a proportional continuation that I need to be an open book with confessing my sins to the level that I openly sinned. What do I mean by that? Well, I'll give you a great example of, an, of, a, of a young man that's been an example to me in the last few weeks. I won't tell you who it is. But we had a great time at the gym one day playing for two hours with, with youth, high schoolers. And we were playing like crazy. And I got a transparent, loving text about a day or two later. I said, KT, I need to ask your forgiveness. My attitude wasn't right. And I had to confess to him. I said, I really didn't notice your attitude was right. I'm thankful for your high, high standard of truth. Because even though it looked okay, he understood that, that his actions were not at the level of godliness that he believes Christ would call us to. And he had the boldness and the guts to reach out and say, I was wrong. I confess my sin. Will you forgive me? And then he added, will you please tell your family that I'm sorry and that I'm working to, to improve that attitude? That's putting yourself out there, my brothers and sisters, and that's what God wants. He felt that his actions had been visible, his attitude had been visible, therefore his confession needed to be visible. Now let's look at the other side of this. You have thoughts, I have thoughts, we have intentions of our heart that are very private. I believe that scripture would teach that those thoughts and intents need oftentimes to stay very private. So where's the transparency there between God and I? I need to be regularly confessing these sins. But understand that there are times when my sin is private that it needs to stay private between the Lord and I. I'll be very, very open with you. Gentlemen, I don't believe that every sin of the mind would be wise to find your wife or, or some other uh, lady that really impure thoughts sin against and confess those sins. I don't think that's what God intended. I think God intended for you to work with him on those private sins. But when I'm unkind to my daughters and son, when I'm unkind to my wife, you better believe there needs to be a transparent humbling of myself and an open verbal confession to those around me. And it's the same with each other. Had a blast hanging out at the Carters last night, and uh, one of the things he said was, you know, it's so important that we approach each other when something needs to be called out. And it's so important that we confess to each other when something needs to be addressed. 
Are you getting the sense of how hard this is, though? This is high-level Christian living. This is vulnerability. This is transparency. This is the real nitty-gritty. This is what separates the posers from those who embrace dependence of God and of the church family. An open, transparent, approachable heart. So important. So important. Let's be men and women who embrace this truth. The reality of verse 19 and 20 is encouraging. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. The reality is that God is the God of healing. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of forgiveness. And one of his favorite tools for restoration is what? The church of the living God. You. You are one of God's favorite tools for restoration and for him carrying out his work of salvation. And so in verse 19 and 20, you've got two different types of people here. Look closely. Read the details. The two types of people are one, men or women among us who've yet to receive the gift of salvation. And we know that Jesus Christ is very clear that, any that anyone that would receive him as their savior has the right to become children of God. We know from two chapters later that they who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their savior will be condemned. And there are those among us. There are those among us who have yet to receive the free gift of salvation. My brothers and sisters, it's your privilege, your job, your goal to be so loving, so encouraging, so supportive that that brother or sister will see Christ so clearly through you. The Spirit opens their eyes and they receive the Lord Jesus. See where the Scripture's going on that? You are his hands. You are his feet. You are his mouthpiece. He wants to use you to show and say the gospel to others around you. And then when that individual realizes that Jesus Christ, the God of all creation, became human, lived a perfect life, went to the cross and died to pay for your sins, my sins, and their sins, when the Spirit opens their eyes and they receive that unbelievable free gift of salvation, we're going to rejoice. We're going to have a party. Because that's God's joy to use you and to use me. Don't overlook next Sunday as a golden opportunity, my friends. We're going to gather in a huge shop. We're tight today. I love it. We're not going to be tight next week until we invite five friends each. Then we're going to be good tight, right? But the reality is, is that you and I have an opportunity this Easter Sunday to go out of our comfort zone and invite our coworkers and our neighbors and our friends to come and hear the gospel of the living God next Sunday. And if I get scared and if I wimp out and if I choose to get lazy and I don't invite that person that the Lord's laying on my heart, not looking forward to that accountability at the judgment seat, right? This is our chance. Let's be bold. Let's be faithful. Let's invite our loved ones and get them there so that we can interact and enjoy life with them and show them the love of Jesus that we've experienced. And let's watch the Spirit of God do amazing work 10 a.m. next Sunday, please be praying about who God would have you invite. You better have a few. I've got four or five out there, and I'm hoping two will come. You know how that goes, right? Be praying about that. I believe the Lord wants you to invite someone to share the love of Jesus. 
So that's the one person that the, the Lord wants to restore and wants to save. The other type of individual spoken in 19 and 20 is the wayward Christian. The brother or sister that's down and out in the faith, that's struggling, that's mired in their own sin and their own failure. He wants to use you. He wants to work through you to restore that brother or sister. And so your job is to be alert. Now let me be real with you. One or two hours on Sunday morning is not enough time for you to build deep enough relationship where you're going to be sensitive enough to sense this need. That's the reality. For years, we've said that we want to share life together. Share life together. And that means that two hours ain't going to cut that. That means we need to be interacting. We need to be encouraging. We need to be studying. We need to be praying. We need to be having fun together far more than two hours a week. When we make church life, then I believe God's going to open up our eyes to those around us who we can encourage and build up. Ephesians 4, write that down in the margins of your note. Ephesians 4, I love it, speaks of you being built up as a spiritual house. That's the local church. That's the universal church. You're being built up. And how are you built up? by what every joint and ligament provides, what every member of the church family provides is what's going to build you up. Isn't that amazing? Why would God use you? Why would he use me? Because he loves us so much, he even wants to include us in the restoration and salvation of those around us. Unbelievable. Huge opportunity. Let's not pass it by. God uses his church to restore and to save. And we know that as we encourage and help and, and come alongside and put the arm around, that just like when a sinner receives Christ as Savior, there's celebration, there needs to be celebration when a struggling believer turns back to the Lord. Remember the story of the, para, of the uh, lost son, the prodigal son? Remember how he was so determined that once he had turned his back and walked away from his father that it was going to be just hard going to get back even to be a servant. And his father sees him and what does he do? He runs open arms. He kills the fatted calf. He puts a clean robe. He celebrates. The reality is that you have sin in your life and I have sin in my life. And some of that sin is weighing you down like it is me. And let's help each other. Let's encourage each other because it is time to take that 180 degree turn back to the father and restore that fellowship with him. And you can help each other do that. You can be part of that solution. And when we turn our back, we turn our back on God. When we refuse to help each other, we refuse to help God. Jesus is clear about that. Huge opportunity, my family. Huge chance to be part of the work that God wants to do. So to summarize, write this down. KT's going to end a minute early. There's a first for everything. But to summarize, prayer equals dependence. Things going rough, what do you do? Pray. Pray. Things are going really well, what do you do? Pray. Pray. Struggling with some sickness, what do you do? Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Prayer equals dependence. Dependence on God. And dependence on each other. Can you imagine the impact if 70 to 100 people caught fire for the Lord on a deeper level 
started sharing that love with each other fervently and starting to share with the community that love, what could God do? Unbelievable. Next week, I believe, I'm, I'm hoping and praying, Brother Tim got to lead a young man to the Lord this week. And we're praying that he makes the two-hour drive next Sunday to get to the Easter Sunday service. And my prayer is that each of you can come around him, give him such friendliness and encouragement that it verifies and validates every single thing that the Lord has done in his short Christian life and projects him onto more life for living for the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? The Lord wants to use you to do that. More to come. Lots more on prayer. Lots more on dependence. Lots more on sharing life together. Father, we thank you for the unbelievable privilege of being used by the almighty God of the universe. What are we that you would give us a chance to, to know you, let alone serve you and be part of your work? It's amazing. Father, I pray that you'd work in each one of our hearts. Remove us from our comfort zone. Remove us from our blinders and allow us to see the work that you'd have us do. Father, I know that in my life that's going to be confessing and turning from some habitual sins, and I pray for help and self-control from your spirit to, make, to do that. Pray that you'd make my brothers and sisters bold to challenge me and encourage me in the faith, to call me out where things need to improve. And we pray that we'd be truly dependent on you and dependent on each other. We're excited about this. We need you to bless in Jesus' name. Amen.